0: Well let's open in prayer. Father, again, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word that is timeless. Lord, it, it it teaches us truly who you are. It teaches us really what your will is for our lives. That we might walk right in the middle of your will. And Lord, that is our, our desire to walk, and to talk with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And we're going to begin at verse 15. Though it's not our text, I want to get a running start into our text. It says in verse 15, Therefore be careful, how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dispensation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, and always giving thanks for all things in the name of the Lord, Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father. Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. When we began the book of Ephesians, we found that the first three chapters are what we call doctrinal. They're teaching. They taught us about who we are in Christ and what we have, our inheritance in Christ. But then when we came to chapter 4 and 5 and 6, we'll see, is the application. All of Paul's teaching is that way, doctrine and then duty, or doctrine and application. In this section that is application, how it applies to our lives, uh, when we started chapter 4, we saw that the importance of walking worthy of our calling. We're a child of God, and we are to walk in such a way that reflects and points people to God. That when they see our lives, they say, there must be a God. We are his ambassadors. We are his representatives. Then we saw walking in love. That's, again, what believers do. We walk in love. In fact, love is fulfillment of the law. And love is the mark of every believer in Christ. That's that's what it's supposed to be, that mark, love, that stands out. Love, being sacrificial, giving ourselves away, denying ourselves, picking up our cross and following the Lord, and following and loving as he loved. Then we saw really what a believer does, that application is walking in the light, That our very lives are a witness and a testimony that people can come into the kingdom of God just by seeing our lives and then begin asking questions. This world is a dark world. It is an evil world. People need a hope. They need light. Jesus came not to judge this world, but to save this world. He will come back again and He will come as judgment. Anger should never come from us. Love should flow from us. That's the light. That's the testimony that people, when God has allowed something, that people are getting saved. People are ministering. People that are in that community that have never ministered before all of a sudden are put in a situation that their neighbors are without and they're ministering to them and they're seeing that love of Christ in action. That's the light that you and I should be even in our own community. When we run into somebody that is hurting and pain or in the hospital, or you go and visit someone else in the hospital and and there's someone else in that bed in that same room, have you ever gone over and just, hey, can I pray for you? You know they've been listening to what you've been saying to that person. Have you just taken the time and encouraged them? Or been in the psych ward, visiting someone, and realize maybe you may not be able to help anyone there, but the very nurses and doctors are ministered to there. Encouraged as they see that love of God. And that's walking in that light. And then we came last week and we saw walking in wisdom. Does anyone need wisdom here today? Don't even hold up your hand. Everyone needs wisdom. And... Our message this week is really a a continuation of walking in wisdom. Look with me and let me show you. It's in verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dispensation, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, oftentimes people use this to to deal with drunkenness and alcohol, and certainly the Bible, we're going to look at what it says about it. But it's drunkenness that the Bible speaks about. It doesn't forbid the drinking of wine. And we're going to see how these things play out in the Bible. I don't think it's personally always wise. It's certainly not wise for me because it can be a stumbling block for many. And we know the consequences of those things. But we are to be people of grace too when we have friends and family that drink that how we deal with them is very important. Wine was that staple drink that they would drink because in that ancient Mediterranean world, much of the water wasn't worth drinking. In fact, it was not sanitary. The wine was fermented to prevent it from really turning to vinegar. How many would like to drink to vinegar? Don't hold your hands up. But that's why they fermented it in the very, very beginning. It had a purpose. It had a place. It was a. It was a time. And what they would do is, in most cases, mix water with that wine. And remember, it was permissible, and it was used in many applications at this time. And 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 it was used again to drink with meals. If you would be eating, you would be drinking it, not to get high. But it was what you had to drink for survival. It was also used for offerings. If you had produced your own wine, you would bring it into the temple and it could be an offering or go along at certain offerings. It was used for medicinal purposes. It was used for trading, for for goods in exchange of services. It was used at at banquets. And you remember even the the wedding of Canaan of Galilee and, and the wine there that Jesus turned water into wine. It was a symbol of joy. And as I mentioned for, again, medicinal purposes, it's also used for alleviating pain. To numb and help deal with it from pouring it on to even drinking it. So it's important to understand that, that wine, what is he talking about in this context? What, what does he have in mind when Paul was writing this letter? well paul 's imperatives are paul's commands it 's an important it gives us really a picture he 's comparing again that person that would be drunk, and certainly we know Noah was drunk, and we know the consequences come from that. We know the story of Lot when his two daughters took advantage of him when he was drunk, and we know there's consequences and paul 's talking about this drunkenness and and really the reckless actions that so often Follow because the influence of wine, in contrast to the influence of the Spirit, he's trying to encourage us to walk in the Spirit. That is the main main point of that because he's going to describe the consequences really of of this drunkenness, the fruitlessness of this. Now it's important to understand when we think about this passage that it, it's not a one time event. Be not drunk, but be filled with the Spirit. There's a command that's going to come with this in the contrast. It's not just to, to be filled with the Spirit once. It's not necessarily coming up to the altar as in some places they do week after week after week. That's not what the Bible is teaching. But it's be under the influence, under the control. It's, it's submission to the Spirit of God. It's a surrendered life. It's entrusting our lives really to God. Now, drunkenness, in contrast, is associated with loss of self-control. And you know, and we're talking about drunkenness, not just having a drink with a meal. And why is he addressing this? And and we're going to see Ephesus was really the center of pagan worship. And there's two Caesareas, again, in, in Israel... Now this one is up in the north, and you can see it's in the area of Dan. Dan was a, a pagan culture, and it's just the pictures are more clear on this to really show you. And, and the god may have a different name in each culture, and that's what I want you to understand is the problem was the same. And this is in the area you can see above Galilee, and, and, and what an interesting fact about this, there's this what we call Judean Rift. It runs all the way from Turkey to Mozambique now the rift isn't cut as deep but it's actually an earthquake fault and that earthquake that's going to come when Jesus comes and the earth is going to split this is right off of this point let's go to the next slide and again, this is showing one of the gods, and this is the one that would have been in the area of Ephesus. And and you know, oh, by the way, this is Cupid down here at the bottom, as you can see, and wine is the main thing. And and they believed if they drank wine, they would become close to God. Now I don't want to go too deep on here, but many people used to take LSD pot. I can relate to God. I get close, and they would get off in these different trips. And this is the same thing, it's it's nothing new. In fact, it's old. Let's go to the next picture. This here is an interesting picture because this picture here is is the gates of Hades. You didn't know it. It's not marked with a sign. And the priest of this God would go down into this cave and in this tunnel and they would get high on the fumes. And this is really what he has in mind. And it was very important. Everyone wanted to go down and get high on these fumes because they would come out and prophesy. But because they could not go in there, they would get drunk. And they would have these drunken orgies. And that was very common when you read Israel's history. They would go up to the high places. Let's go to the next one. And, and this the temple would be built in this long area across here. And by the way, this God here, all being the same God, false gods, was the God Pan. He was the one that was half goat and half man. Now, what's interesting about this place, you notice there's a big hill that goes up behind here. And this is just a side note from our text, but it really does kind of give us the big picture. Jesus, moving from Bethsaida up into Caesarea Philippi, is standing on the top, almost all scholars agree, with his disciples when Jesus declared, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus would then go on and say, and the gates that you just saw of Hades, which is here, will not prevail against the church. So when he's talking about this drunkenness, he's not talking about somebody just having a party, a wedding, getting drunk, which it could apply. But the main thing that you have to understand what it's all about is is that these people were wanting to get high and experience God. That, that, that's the craziness. That's the foolishness. He said, But you know, you and me who are in the Spirit, we can relate. Our spirits relate to God directly. We don't need things to channel to. We should be going through this life knowing that when we walk through this life, when we're in the Spirit, that Christ is with us. He's empowering us and strengthening us. Just as Jesus. Again, walking in the water, and Peter got out of the boat, and he walked in the water, and as long as his eyes were on Jesus, we're fine. But then he took his eyes off, and he began to sink. And then he cried out, Lord, save us. I'm going through life, and sometimes I need to just cry out, Lord, save me. Have you ever been in that situation? Maybe it's, it's, it's a car approaching you. You're lost. You don't know where you're going. Maybe you're being tempted. I know not you guys. God save me from this temptation. You promised to give me an out. Show me. But it's a person who is drunk, that has lost his self control, that often does things, says things that he wouldn't have said in a normal situation. He looks like a, a fool. So it was done primarily in this case he's talking about, really to to commune with God. So this is the background that Paul is is talking about when he talks about this. Let me read 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 20. No, but I say that these things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice the demons, not to God. And I do not want you to become sharers in the demons, and you cannot drink the cup of the Lord in the cup of demons. You cannot partake in the table of the Lord and the table of demons. See, this is what they're wanting to do is have one foot in the world and one foot in Christ and it does not work. They were wanting to go to these old feasts and they wanted to participate and their friends were drawing them in. This is can't do that. Normally they wouldn't do that, but if they were drunk, they would be drawn in. And, and this is why he says it's so important to walk in the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit. In fact, Luke twenty-one thirty-four says this. I'm reading the Living Bible. In this case, watch out. Do not let a sudden coming catch you unwareness, or do not let my sudden coming catch you in unwareness. Do not let, uh, let me find you living in a careless ease, carousing and drinking and occupied with problems of this life like the rest of the world. He's saying, look, your life needs to be different. You're not going to find hope in this. It's not going to really resolve your problems. No. But walking in Christ, being in the Spirit. This is walking in wisdom when I choose, again, to be filled with the Spirit. Now, again, the word, again, this this idea, be, it's not a one-time event. You, You just don't get filled once. And it's not even just a, a filling, of pouring in, as, as it sounds like. As much as it is, is, is really surrendering control, as I mentioned to, and a better translation would be ye continually filled or be ye continually under the influence of the Holy Spirit. See, if you're under the influence of the Holy Spirit, you're not going to lash out with anger. You're not going to be judging people. You're not going to be going into sinful places. This is what he's saying. Hey, these days are evil. The temptations are are just too many. But more than that, there are people that are going to hell that do not know the truth that would set them free. Now, Proverbs twenty. Verse 1 says, wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is intoxicated, he's not wise. So again, the scripture makes it clear that again, it's intoxication, it's it's drunkenness. So we don't want to condemn someone. That's not our call. But it's not wise. This idea is to excess. In fact, it, it describes it. The word means is kind of a, a wasting away. When a person is drunk, he's wasting his life away in uncontrolled behavior. And it's different for different people rioting, debauchery, wild, outrageous behavior, loose, reveling, all these things, all these things that would be participating around the idols, all the immoral. See, drunkenness is also a work of the flesh. And that drunkenness, as I've already mentioned, leads to other sins. It leads our mind to sin and we have to make choices. Well, the Bible says several things about, again, drunkenness. Drunkenness excludes a person really from the kingdom of God. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And there's so many I've shared with. That they're, they're drunk all the time and say, yeah, I'm going to heaven. How do you know the, what the Bible says? No, I'm going. When you're in a drunken stupor, you have no senses. It's foolishness. First Corinthians 6.10 says this, Nor thieves, nor covenants, nor drunkards, nor revilers, or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. It's flat out. You know, there's some people that can't drink. Do you know what I mean by that? They shouldn't drink because they can't have one drink and they don't know where to stop. Drunkenness leads to other forms of misbehavior and sin. Again, Luke fifteen thirteen says this, and, and not many days later, the youngest son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country and there he squandered his estate and loose living. The, the story of the prodigal son. He got his inheritance and and he just spent it all in loose living. But you know what the wonder of that is? When he came to his senses, he recognized his servants of his father live better than him. And he goes back to his father and he confesses his sin. And I love the picture. The father's running with open arms. So when a person's gone that way, the Father's wanting to receive them, draw them in, really into his presence, wanting to restore and wipe away those sins. Drunkenness makes it impossible to grasp those, those brief moments and God-given opportunities. We talked about last week, Ephesians 5, 16, and 18, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. That's so important. Because it desensitizes us, because we become the center of the focus, and oftentimes everything revolves around us. Again, look at that Ephesians 5.18, and do not get drunk with wine, for that's dispensation, but... Be filled with the Spirit. It's, it's, he's contrasting the drunkenness to this being filled with the Spirit. You know, to be filled with the Spirit, be under the influence of the Spirit, is really a tremendous privilege. What it means is that you are can walk in the power of the Spirit, that you can walk with a holy God just as Enoch did, just as Abraham did. Just as Moses did with such awareness that God is with you. In fact, when the scripture says Jesus come that he might have life, but have it more abundantly, this is the abundant life, the awareness that God is with you when we're walking in that spirit. Now, in order for us to walk in this wisdom, it it requires first a, a careful walk. I need to really choose where I want to walk and how I want to walk through this life. I need, sometimes it may need to be on on the wall, that reminder. It needs to be a part of our prayer. Lord, help me to walk this life carefully. Help me choose that place that you would have me walk. That is a deliberate walk. That means I have made a choice to walk with the Lord this day. I choose to walk as he would have me walk and go the places that he would have me go. And that means it involves denying myself. Because there's a lot of things in life I would like. Are there things that you would like to do that you're not doing in life? Yes, every one of us have those things. And it means sometimes we have to set those things aside. Sometimes we don't really know what we want. You know, like kids... They want something for Christmas and you buy it for them for Christmas. By the time Christmas comes, they don't want that anymore. They want something else. Sometimes it's it's God has to redirect us and show us he's made us uniquely special. And when we begin to walk in his will, we become alive. Full of joy. Our lives bubble up with him. Thirdly, it means a submissive walk. Not my way, Lord, but your will be done. It's a surrendered thing. Now, this in contrast is is, uh, to the baptism with the Spirit, which is a one-time event, okay? This is something that I need to continually be filled with the Lord daily. I need to continually walk with Him under His influence. I need to continually, again, submit my life to Him daily it's a repeated surrender again and again and again and when i sin i i have to confess my sin and repent and say lord put me back on that path if i don't then i will continue to go down that other path and i begin to sear my heart and i'm no longer walking in the spirit even if the gifts are flowing from me it doesn't necessarily mean i'm Walking in the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, under the control of the Spirit. The Spirit, again, when when we're under the influence of the Spirit, is that we can speak boldly. Have you ever wanted to share your faith with somebody, but kind of really got kind of nervous and kind of cowed out of it? The reason we do is because we're in the flesh and not in the Spirit under the control of the spirit he boldly speaks through us and it's God speaking through us giving us the very words in our mouth because we want to see people saved let me read again in acts 4:29 through 31 he says and now lord take note of our threats and grant that your bondservant may speak your word with all confidence notice the surrender and the need And while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak the word of God with all boldness. When you know the power of God in you, the the presence of God that you can speak with such a boldness and assurance, and nothing is too difficult. The things that are impossible for you and me, that's true. They're not impossible for God. Time and time again, you, you see that they were filled, under the influence, under the control. It's not talking about a baptism of the Spirit. That was already given. But this is a continual surrender to the Lord. Lord, I, I need you. God, have your way. Acts 4, verses 5 and 9, on that next day, the rulers and the elders and the scribes gathered together in Jerusalem, and Annas the high priest was there, and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were with the high priestly descent. And when they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire, But what power and what name have you done this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we're on trial today for the benefit done to this one sick man, how is this man been made well you know when you are walking under the influence of God there can be healing flowing through your lives and my lives now that's not a guarantee that God will heal every person but when you are surrendered to the Lord you're a vessel cleansed and washed and, and dependent upon God and you're not moving on your own power. God is wanting to use you. Then God can use you because you're under the leading of the Holy Spirit. This is not just for a few people. This is for you and me. If you are walking in the Spirit, surrender to the Lord, looking for God's will, God will use you to lead people into the kingdom, to reach out and touch people, to minister to people, to speak a loving word that opens up their heart. God's will will be done only when you are surrendering yourself to the Lord. Peter was filled with this Holy Spirit because Peter was under the the control of the Spirit. He was able to face persecution time and time again, and preach the gospel and power. When Peter, in the end, died, he was crucified, and, and he didn't want to be crucified like Jesus, and he wanted the, the cross to be upside down, and, and that was sustained by the Spirit of God. Think of Stephen, the first martyr, and being stoned, and he looks up in the heavens and he sees Jesus. It's only when our eyes are upon the Lord and we're surrendered control do we experience Him. And that's what God wants more than anything else to you and me, to experience a living God. To know that He's living in us and He wants to move through us. John fourteen, eighteen, and 20 says this, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And after a little while, the world will no longer see me. But you will see me because I live and you will live also. And in that day you will know that I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. You know, the, the Spirit, when you are surrendered to the Spirit, you are so aware that God is with you. There is nothing more encouraging than knowing that when you go through this life, that Jesus Christ is with you that he's upholding you, that he's sustaining you. You and I have no idea what it's like to experience persecution of Christians like is, and again, in, in the Middle East, where they line people up and they're just lopping heads off as they go down the line. That's a person under the influence, under the control one that has seen Jesus in the midst of the most difficult times in life. And, and I need that spirit, and you need that spirit for those trials and times we go through. And, and we may never go through what they do in other countries, and then again we may. But if we do not know how to walk in the Spirit, if we don't know how to surrender the Lord, we're missing the abundant life that God has for us. Now again, Second Corinthians 1, verses 3 and 5, notice it says, Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the Father of mercies. Notice he's called there the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort in which our lives are also comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ Jesus. To lose a loved one is probably one of the hardest things in the world. To lose your own child is even harder. And many I've talked to who've gone through those things, it was only God that sustained them and kept them. Yes, they grieved, they mourned, but they had a hope, a hope that the world didn't have. And God, as they walked through that life, was encouraging them and comforting them. Acts 13.52 says this, And the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Again, they were continually filled. Joy was filling their life, overflowing their life is really what it's saying. Filled under that influence of joy, we should be, as I mentioned before, the most joyful, happy people. So happy that people might want to lock us up, they might think we're crazy. We have a hope, a hope that the world doesn't have. And that, when we're walking in the Spirit, one of the things that comes with it is this joy, this just overflowing abundance of joy. Peace comes that passeth all understanding until you you've gone through that you don't know but that's the place that god wants to bring each and every one of us notice again in our text back to ephesians 5 19 it says speaking to one another in psalms hymns spiritual songs singing and making melody in your heart to the lord well there's three things i want to call your attention the spirit-filled person has a singing spirit you know, if you're if you're under the influence of God, you can't help but sing. How many people sing in the shower? Come on, no shame. Am I the only loony here? Okay. I sound good. The microphone's up there, the water's coming down, my wife can't hear me, but the Lord hears me. It's a joyful sound. Or in the morning. When Judy's still sleeping, singing to the Lord. See, if you know the Lord loved you and he's died for you, you can't help but want to sing. Now, he's saying, again, this spirit-filled person, there's these marks. He has a a singing, joyful spirit. This is like a a test. Where am I at? Lord, I'm not in the place that I want to be, that I know you want me to be, and all I have to do is cry out, God, help me be in that place. Help me to experience joy you and now remember this is in contrast to that person is that drunken stupor that person who is singing but when he wakes up and when when it's all said and done he's got a splitting headache doesn't remember the foolish things he said but a singing spirit remembers a singing spirit is loving the lord again john 10 10 says this the thief comes only to steal kill and destroy i came that you may have life And life abundantly. See, the life abundantly is there. All we need to do is take control. Our taking control is surrendering that control. As I surrender Him, then I am taking control of my life. That is the life in Christ because Christ is filling me. And then I have this overflowing of joy, this overflowing of love. Now the worldly person often seeks a joy... And he seeks a happiness, oftentimes in in drink or drugs and partying. The contrast, though, to the the spirit-filled person is one who just sings to the Lord. He knows the presence of the Lord. He knows the power of the Lord. He's knowing God wants to do more things than he's ever done before. So what are we to sing? That's important to understand. The first thing he lists is, is really Psalms. We we think of those old testament Psalms. That's what they had at that time, remember. And those psalms they were to memorize and this is one of the ways they would memorize and when they would be coming up to three required feast days to Jerusalem, they would be singing what would be called the Hallel Psalms for miles, going up as they went up, and there was a joyful cheering. Now Psalms are incredible because many of them are very personal. They start in a, a sad note or a difficult time, but when they finish, they're full of joy. They're full of peace. Many of the Psalms exalt the Lord in very high places. See, this is one of the ways that David encouraged himself in the Lord with a harp and singing, is thinking on the Lord, pausing, however, it would be reading and singing. I have a friend that he taught through the psalms and he can sing and I can't sing. And he sang and taught through 150 psalms. I wish I had that ability. And it was incredible because not necessarily exactly how they did it, but he gave that idea. And everyone there was encouraged and everyone was built up and everyone was motivated to go out and just love the Lord and tell others about the Lord. And that's what the psalms do. It it helps us understand how we can live victoriously in this life. Well, he says hymns there, and there were great hymns of the church. We did hymns this morning. Hymns are confessions of the faith. See, we are putting our eyes on these songs upon the Lord, what the Lord has done. It's not about me. In a sense it is, but it's really about what the Lord has already done. God, you are great, you are mighty, you have extended your grace. When a Jewish person would pray, he would look up to the heavens. He would lift his hands up, whether in a building or out. He would lift up his hands, lift up his eyes with expectation. And then for the first part of his prayer, all they would do is exalt God. When you exalt God, you see him in the greatness, in the honor of who he is. There is nothing too difficult for God to do sometimes people come to the Lord like Eeyore oh I got this problem Lord they haven't really saw God they haven't connected with him but man when when you begin to exalt and lift him up and and these hymns and magnifying and recognize what he's done I have no problems you have no problems. And, and that's really what it is. It's a message of God. It's a message of Christ. That's what these hymns are. And they had similar hymns. And, and they're in history. We can see them and find them. We just don't always know what they sounded like. And finally, there's spiritual songs. Spiritual songs can mean many different things. I would like to share one illustration for my own life. I was going through a very difficult time uh, I was in a place, and my boss wanted to get rid of me. He wanted to find something wrong with me, but he couldn't find anything wrong with me. He used to hide in the bushes and 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 really try and find something, but he couldn't find something. We weren't there. He'd go look at our trash, and, and he would peek through the windows of the house. It was a very difficult time in our life, and, and I didn't want to be there. Have you ever been in a place you don't want to be there, and you don't know, Lord, should I stay? Should I go? Is anyone... Yeah, all of us have been in that place sometimes. And, and what I was doing is I was working. I would I would sing. I would just take scripture and I would begin to sing it. But I would take select scripture and, and knowing who God was. And I, I hadn't read the scripture necessarily to think about. It. it just naturally came. And my prayer ended with this, Lord, if you want me to stay here and be in this job, then I will stay. But Lord, if I'm supposed to go, I want to go, Lord. But if I'm really supposed to go, you've got to show me. You've got to make it clear because I just don't get it. And I think some of you understand that sometimes we just don't get, is it me or is it the Lord? And I said, Lord, if I'm supposed to leave, then what I need so I know it's you is have him attack my Christianity. Next morning, the man came in. First thing, he came out of his mouth. I don't want you praying for me. I don't want you ever to mention my name to God. And it went on and on and on. And I knew that I was supposed to leave. And I said, I'll be out of here by Friday. But see, what had given me that boldness, I, I, I needed to support my family. I didn't have another job. I didn't have money in the bank. I just needed to know, God, is this what you want? And God, if you are, you will provide those needs. And God provided those needs. But all that came out of is just this spiritual song, the scripture that I had learned. and I began to sing it and probably want if you listen to it, it'd be horrible. It didn't flow in harmony the way it should. It was probably a real joyful noise, but it was from my heart. And I believe that's what he's talking about, these spiritual songs, because there's times of desperation in our life. And we cry. Look at Colossians 3.16 with me. And it says, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs and singing with thankfulness in your heart. (laughs) You see how they just kind of flow naturally? I know it's the same author. But, you know, when you, you begin to see God and you see him in all of his glory, you see him that he has made you victorious that He's dealt with your enemies, that He's sustained you and kept you. You can't help but end up in a place of thankfulness. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you have been doing in my life, in the life of my family, in the friends, and the church. In fact, look with me again in your text, Ephesians 5.20, and always giving thanks for all things in the name of the Lord. Wow. Giving thanks for all things. There's some things I'm sure in your life you don't want to give thanks for, but he's saying give thanks for all things. Because all things work for the good for those who love the Lord and call according to his purpose. In the most difficult times, the the things that, that, that seem like God can't do anything, God does something. And again, the storms are hitting are not God's perfect will, yet no matter how difficult that is, there are people coming to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And that is something to be thankful for. Sometimes rugs have to be pulled out from undress to realize that our only hope, our only salvation is Jesus and Jesus alone. Hebrews 4.16 says this, Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in time of need. And every one of us have that time of need. See, our lives are in God's hands. You're not in control of your life. God is in control. He guides us. He directs us. And he directs us through all things. Look at Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Notice that word, in Christ Jesus. See, that person is filled with spirit, is in Christ Jesus and your minds are in Christ Jesus. See, we're marinating our mind with the word of God, and we don't need to be anxious. Why? Because we know that God is in control. We just lay our concerns and say, God, thank you that you will make work what needs to work. Colossians 3.17, notice, whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord, Jesus, giving thanks through him to the God, the Father. In 1 Thessalonians 5.18, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Give thanks. First thing when you get up in the morning, God, thank you that you've given me another day to love you, to love my wife, to love my family, to tell others about you. Life is a precious gift. Until you almost lose it, you don't realize how precious life is. Ephesians 5.21. Notice how he ends. It's really a transition into the next verses that we'll look at next week. Notice what it says. Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. See, it's not really connected. In one sense, it's more of a transitional because what we're going to be talking about is, is really walking in harmony. That's a hard thing for People to walk in harmony. We're going to look at wives last, next week and then then men, how they are to walk in harmony and and, and really children and servants. And, and it's submitting to, to one another really in love. This all, though, in one sense, all flows out of a person who is, again, walking in wisdom, who is filled with the Spirit or under that influence, naturally will do the submitting to one another. Again, that... Subjecting one another as unto Christ in the fear of Christ, so the spirit-filled person is a, a submissive person, a person who has a respectful spirit. This generation coming up lacks respect, doesn't it? Not like the old days, and and you can see the hardness of their hearts, and they need to hear and see Jesus. The spirit-filled person does not have this spirit of criticism or dissension or envy or divisiveness or selfishness. His spirit is a spirit of submission. And the spirit-filled church, the one that the church that the people are walking in the spirit under the control of the spirit, they're submissive. They're submissive, uh, again, to to the pastor. They're submitted to the to worship team, and they're willing to follow, or the Sunday school teachers, and, and to one another. And those same things. There's not division or dissension or selfishness because they have one concern. That is the glorification of Jesus Christ, the exaltation of, of Jesus Christ. Because there's one agenda. That's really God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Matthew 18, 4 says this, whoever then humbles himself as a child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. See, the person that's submissive is really one who humbles himself. He doesn't need to exalt himself. Matthew 28, 18, and Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. You know, the Father gave all authority to Jesus. Jesus was submissive to the Father even unto the death of the cross. The Father now has given all authority into his hands. And Jesus has also given authority into your hands, in my hands. Well, Philippians 2, 6 and 8 describes again Jesus. He existed in the form of God, did not regard equality as a with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant being made in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient even to the point of the death of the cross. Jesus demonstrated that submissive spirit. The person who walks in wisdom is a person who's filled with the spirit, chooses to put his future in the hands of God. Jeremiah 29:11 says this, for I know the plans that I have for you declares the Lord, plans of welfare not for calamity to give you a future and a hope. No matter what a person's going through, they know that God is in control. That God has the best for you. No matter how difficult it is you're going through or your family or your friends, God wants the best. You. The person who is walking in wisdom, the person who is walking under that influence or filled with the Spirit, is a person again whose priorities, please understand, are God's priorities, not his own priorities. Will you stand with me, please? Father, thank you for this time, your word. And Lord, it is our desire to walk in the Spirit, to be surrendered to You, to be concerned about those things that are so important to You. Lord, we ask that You would change our hearts where it needs to be changed. Lord, we want to walk with You day in and day out to Your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.